so, food-related thing. I was at a grocery store in the area here. I think it's a kind of a new chain. I'm not sure. I haven't seen them a lot. It's called Stater Brothers. They had like a wall of oatmeal, and I tried a new oatmeal flavor that's delicious, and I think it's a new flavor. It's it's maple banana, and it Ooh, literally smells and tastes like banana bread. So That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm going to do the intro. That wasn't the intro? <laughs> <laughs> it can be. <laughs> uh, for, hi, for those of you that don't know already, this is uh, your DJ host, Kyle. Are we really DJs Peter. anymore? Are we considered DJs if we do a podcast, or is that only if you're playing music? I guess we're um, hosts. I, I guess I don't think we've really referred to ourselves as DJs since, since the old college radio days. Yeah, I guess we could say this is your host, Kyle, which I have said before as well. Mm-hmm. It seems so formal, though. Yeah, and this is your host, Peter. Hello, and welcome to Funk Radio, where we don't even start on topic. <laughs> We don't even start on time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, So last time, Kyle, you walked me and the listeners through the wonderful wonderful world of uh, headphones. Yes, I did. And that was fun. I think that was a good episode. Uh, This time, I'm uh, going to lead this one here um, about kind of a weird offshoot of... Uh, the world of vinyl records, uh, instructional records. These are sort of, this is the sort of thing where there's not a lot of um, documentation on it, but the more you dig into it, the more weird and interesting it gets. So uh, this, this one's been a fun, a fun one to do some research on. Um, but when I brought up the idea to you recently, um, I don't think you had even heard of them, right? I didn't know they were a thing. No. Yeah. Uh, I think probably, I mean, I I really didn't know much at all. I kind of knew they existed, but not in m- much detail. Um, and I'm sure probably a lot of people don't really think about that when they think about vinyl records. But um, I guess the best way to describe them is they were vinyl records, but not for the purpose of listening to music. Um, but rather, usually they were spoken word type records that were instructional in one way or another, teaching you any number of different things. It was actually a much wider range of things than I had expected. The only way I can think of at the top of my head that I know these are a thing is uh, every so often I'll hear a song that kind of like samples instructional record one way or another. Mm-hmm. I know um, the avalanches, I think sometimes sample instructional records. Mm. That's a good point. Um, I think Brock Berrigan might as a little bit as well. Of course, both of those artists are like 100% sampling almost. Yeah, um, pretty much. So I guess that's... Obvious. Yeah. So like I said, there's not any single source of like, here's a bunch of information about instructional records. It was kind of like they existed, but no one really has a lot of information about them in general. Um, as you dig into specific ones, sometimes you can find a little bit of information so I was able to find a handful of instructional records online, a uh, little bit of information, but also a lot of people just upload these things. And uh, it's kind of interesting, so I thought we would just kind of walk through a number of examples. The first thing I, I'd like to do, Kyle, is uh, there's an article mm-hmm. I found, I guess a blog post, rather, uh, from Amoeba Music. 
and I don't know if you've clicked into that yet, but um, I have. Yeah, if you scroll through that page, there's a lot of uh, photos of of, uh, instructional of vinyl sleeves of various instructional records. I think it kind of gives kind of <laughs> gives an overview of some of the different ones that existed. For example, there's secrets of successful duck calling. There's strategy at the bridge table, learning how to break dance, learning how to type on a typewriter, how to take better photographs. So it's it's a weird range of all these different things. It's like it's rather than reading it in a book or watching, you know, a TV program, because I mean, this mm-hmm. was these were so generally what I found is that like they kind of spiked in right around very end of the 50s, very beginning of the 60s. There were there are examples that are earlier and later than that, but that's kind of where I seem to found most of the examples um, mm-hmm. that I was able to find. For example, like VHS wasn't a thing yet, so like it's not like people could go, "Oh, I'm gonna go rent or buy a video on how to play better golf." Like mm-hmm. you can buy a record and it'll tell you how to play better golf. That's um, a good question, actually, that I just thought of. Mm-hmm. Did did they have places where you could rent records? Like, just like uh, you can rent movies now, you know, through Blockbuster for a time. I guess I, you could probably I, We can a look library. into that. I, I actually don't know. I'm guessing through a library, like a, a lot of libraries back then probably had record sections where you could rent them. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's that where sense. a lot of these ended up. Um, probably. That's speculation on our part, but uh, that could be a thing for sure. Yeah, so uh, like I said, we'll, we'll walk through a few examples here. Um, there was not really any one publisher or record label that seemed to like dominate this i did find that carlton records had a notable series called hear how and they had i think around 20 or so different records that they put out um Mm -hmm. around 1960 and 61 like hear how to train your dog hear how to improve your fishing Ooh, hear how to achieve sexual harmony in marriage that's an interesting one i didn't see that one before hear hear how to skin dive yeah, and that's actually diving? one of the examples that I uh, was going to play in a, a minute here. But you're amazing. Uh, <laughs> it's just a weird thing, and and I kind of like that there's not a lot of uh, good documentation on it because I think that might partially speak to the fact that these weren't the most popular thing, and while it was a fad for a very short period, um, it never really took off on a level that was worth writing about extensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will, uh, we're going to go through a number of examples. Uh, the first one that I chose is called 10 day touch typing course. Um, and this was put out by the company Smith Corona, who's no, who was at the time known for typewriters. Uh, and this came out in 1961. Um, so let's, uh, let's play a little clip of this just to listen to uh, how to type. <laughs> Curve your fingers naturally and rest them lightly on the home keys. When you're making any one of the reaches for keys on the bottom or third rows, keep the remaining fingers resting lightly on the home keys. Strike the middle of the key with a quick, even stroke and return the finger immediately to its home key. Study your fingers as you make the following reaches. Left hand, A finger down to Z and return to A. So, uh, yeah, it's so in, in this particular case, um, I from looking at a couple of different sources, it, it sounds like this was uh, well, this for one, this occurred in a few different iterations over between like 1958 and 61. Um, 
but uh, at least the version that we're listening to is from 1961. And this was a five record set that came with a 22 page instructional book. I think in if you're really talking about straight up like education for things like this, I think you kind of need a book to accompany it to have yeah. some kind of visual because I, I think part of the thing that makes this whole instructional records thing amusing is that just listening is fine, but in a lot of cases, that's not enough without, to really instruct yeah, someone. Yeah, without a visual aid. Yeah. It's like, it's hard to explain how to like hit a baseball or something. Yeah, you know, exactly. The funny thing is, yeah, listening to that, like that guy had like the most 60s narrator voice ever. <laughs> when you were like in grade school, did they have like a typing course where they taught you how to like type fast on a keyboard? Yeah, we we did um we did that in in middle school, I guess, um on the computers. Like Yeah. Uh personally, at least the one I remember was Mario teaches typing. What? That's awesome. Um, we didn't have that. We might have had other ones, I don't remember, but yeah. I the only thing I remember about it is they would cover our keyboard with like this orange cover. Oh yeah, that, the like, cover. <laughs> that blocked where you could see the keys cuz you're supposed to like know from memory or whatever. And I remember in like fourth grade or whatever this was getting so frustrated, be like, yeah. how can I, how can I know what I'm typing if I can't see the letters? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I forgot about that. Um, to this day, I still, like, I don't look at my keyboard as I'm typing, but if I can't see it, I get kind of confused. Yeah. Um, I obviously, needless to say, I don't type the way that they taught us, but, um. Yeah, I kind of, I still kind of hunt and peck. I don't use like the home row like they, you know, mm-hmm. they tried to teach you. So the school system failed me. <laughs> well, maybe if you had this uh, five record instructional set, you might have done on, better on how to how to be a secretary. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, you had mentioned baseball a minute ago as an offhand example. That's actually the next. Um, Nice. clip that we're going to listen to um this is from how to or example uh, can't talk this is from hear how to play better baseball by ralph hawk or i don't remember how to say his name um this is from 1960 um for those of you who don't know and i didn't know this but i guess he was the manager of the new york yankees uh at the time so mm-hmm. let's listen to a clip of this in this way if he fumbles he can make a faster retrieve. His knees should be bent, and the closer he can get to the ground with comfort, the easier it will be for him to follow the ball. Legs should be apart, and preferably the left foot should be slightly in front of the right. You can totally tell he's like reading off a script. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Actually, you know, something I was going to note about this one, and I think it happens in a few other examples actually most of the other examples in the list i found um or compiled rather is um uh, they tended to find subject matter experts to do the narration of these Mm -hmm. which was interesting and it makes sense i think especially if it's a name that you recognize i think that helps sell it because you know baseball fans probably know at the time at least at least would know the name ralph hawk and they would say hey he knows his shit he was a baseball player. He managed the New York Yankees. He can teach me how to play better baseball. As opposed to just getting like a, you know, narrator or voice or Morgan Freeman to do it for them. Right. So I found, I, I noticed that was a pretty common trend in these. 
uh, the next one was another one that you had mentioned earlier that you saw on the other list was uh, Here How to Skin Dive by Lloyd Bridges. This is also from 1961. So you can see kind of a trend of these are all kind of coming out around the same year or so. Um, let's listen to a clip of this one. Throughout the world, snorkel divers are hunting fish, taking lobsters and shellfish, exploring beautiful seascapes, collecting rare seashells and semi-precious stones, and taking underwater photographs. Experts, such as national spearfishing champion Jim Christensen, can hold their breath three minutes and dive to 100 feet. But the average time of submersion for a snorkel diver is 20 seconds, at a depth of 15 to 20 feet. I find it interesting that he actually, there's a bit of an introduction to this one where he actually talks about like, hey, nothing can replace actual training and experience, yeah. especially with something like this where like you could die if you do it wrong. So I yeah. think it's important that they talk like, hey, you can't just listen to a record and then know how to go scuba diving. I was going to say, so apparently skin diving is a form of scuba diving without a, without a wetsuit, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about that. Because there's a very sexy, hunky uh, Lloyd Bridges wearing scuba gear, but no suit. Mm. So that must have been a thing. You don't want to cover up all that hunk underneath. Yeah. Which is funny because, yeah, wetsuits basically are meant to keep you warm in really cold water. I don't know how you could do that without a wetsuit. Gotta be hardcore. Exactly. Um, so Lloyd Bridges, um... At the time, he was an actor who is actually partially known for being the father of actors Bo Bridges and Jeff Bridges. Um, the, the dude. The dude. And back in the 60s, um, Lloyd Bridges um, played the character Mike Nelson in the TV show Sea Hunt. So people knew him not necessarily as a professional skin diver, but rather someone who played a, played a skin diver who did that kind of stuff. So... Um, again, this is a case where they get like a recognizable name. I think pretty sure he was pretty popular in that role at the time. So, you know, if you watch the TV show and you gain an interest in that, you're like, Hey, now I can learn how. And Lloyd Bridges will teach me how, hmm. um, around the same time as this record, he also wrote a book or he co-authored a book rather about skin diving called mask and flippers. Um, so I guess he, either learned for that role or he just knew like that was just a thing he did uh, of skin diving. So actually I, I might've misspoken a minute ago when I said he wasn't a professional skin diver. Cause he might've been, I, I don't know enough about him, but um, either way he seems to know his shit and he narrated that record. So going back a little bit in our discussion, I said, Oh, you know, some songs reference these or like sample them. Um, mm -hmm. A song I, I this is a song I've kind of forgotten about for a while, but it came to mind when I was thinking about this topic was the song How to Dance uh, by Bingo Boys fe featuring Princessa in 1991. This song very heavily samples a How to Dance record, and it, I think it uses it to interesting effect. So why don't we play a clip of that song? Step left, around, and together with the right, stand straight, bend knee. Good, uh, good early '90s music and an inter interesting uh, implementation of the, ironically using the uh, "How to Dance" record mm -hmm. interspersed throughout the song. So I thought that was kind of interesting. 
Funny enough, uh, through separate researching of these instructional records, I found one called Let's Disco uh, by KTEL Records in 1978. I realized as I was listening to it, oh, this is the record that that song is referencing or sampling. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so 1978, that's a lot later than all the examples we've been listening to so far. I don't really think they were the instructional records were quite a thing you know, generally that late in the game, but um, mm-hmm. this is at least one example. And it really clearly uh, capitalizes on the disco craze of the late 70s. So I think the timing of it was really good. And it goes through, I think it's quite long actually. And it goes through a lot of teaching you how to do a number of dance moves uh, for disco dancing. Let's try the walking steps forward and backward to the music. Remember, it's four counts up and four back. Starting with your left foot. Ready, set, and begin. Forward, two, three, together. Back, two, three, together. Forward, two, three, together. Back, two, three, together. Forward, two, three, together. Back, two, three, together. Forward, two, three, together. This is an example of an instructional record where without visuals or like an instructor, maybe an instructor is like there, teaching you how to do it and they're playing this record for like a class mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you're just on your own and playing this in your living room and you don't know what the heck you're doing, I don't know how effective this can be. <laughs> yeah. And also, like you said, it comes with like an instruction booklet that at least shows you like the, the format, the forms or whatever. Yeah. So that's, I think that I, if I remember correctly, that one's like 45 minutes long. It's, it's almost an hour long and goes through several different dance routines. So, uh, that's an interesting one, and by far it's the latest one that I found. I was gonna say it's it's funny that you mentioned, I guess, dancing instructional videos in particular because hmm. I want to say it was fifth grade. As part of my physical education, we I don't know we did a segment where we had to learn like different dances. It was really stupid, hmm. um, and you learned things like the electric slide and stupid shit like that, hmm. and the coach or whatever the, the PE teacher uh, would demonstrate for us but I remember they had a cassette that they would put <laughs> in and play that would get us to like you know do the different moves to the to the beats of songs and obviously because we had an instructor there um, showing us the steps it was a lot more beneficial but it's mm-hmm. funny that like you know even past the popularity of records there's there were still formats out there teaching little fifth grade kids how to dance <laughs> you know and that probably is still a thing today you know on probably CDs or whatever yeah yeah do you remember if the if the tape had like narration on it or was it just music that was intended for the instructor no. to teach to no it had narration it oh, was it narration did. and then the instructor would like pause it and show us and oh uh, that's pretty funny yeah. So yeah, I, I think without doing it in that setting, I think the potential for success of some of these is a little bit limited. Especially like, you know, if you think about once, you know, we saw ones that were like how to do better at fishing, and yeah, that's not even you, one where you can listen to it and do the thing as you're listening to it. You just hear like splashing and like some guy reeling a reel in and nothing else. Yeah. So I I don't know. I think that's part of what makes these so funny. Yeah. Is that I, I in a lot of cases I can't even see how they would be effective. 
I was going to say, I mean, if you think about it, though, especially in the 60s, before there was really the advent of, like, you know, take-home video. Right. Outside of reading books, there really was not a good visual way to, like, instruct people to do things. I mean, there was, obviously, yeah. there wasn't YouTube. There wasn't even VHS tapes. So yeah. maybe maybe if you could, like, take home, like, a reel and put it in, like, a projector... <laughs> If you had one of those, but yeah, that's a good point. I think the the time period of these is an interesting factor because I, it's kind of in a middle space of we don't really have the technology yet for people to really uh, have visuals for this kind of stuff. But we're beyond the point if it's just books. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's so it it's a it's almost an interesting experiment, if you will, you know, to see how effective educational things can be through just audio yeah so the next one that i found um it's called the appalachian dulcimer by jean ritchie from 1963 she was an american folk singer songwriter and appalachian dulcimer player known as the mother of folk so uh i guess she was pretty uh hardcore with the dulcimer and and this is another example of like they got an expert to do the actual what's uh, a dulcimer it's a um, it's some kind of string instrument, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to think of what it looks like. Oh, okay. I, I googled it. It kind of looks like a washboard with strings on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's go ahead and uh, listen to a clip of this. We always tune up by ear to the key we want, but you may want to be guided by the piano or a pitch pipe, at least until you get used to the sound of it. Or if you haven't a piano or another instrument handy, use this method. Turn the third or bass string up to where the tension feels good. Don't make it too taut or you might break the string. Now, press down with your finger on this string just to the left of the fourth fret. One, two, three, four. This is an interesting one. I I wonder if, well, especially if it came with a book or something, uh, I wonder if some of the, you know, how to play different instruments records could have been somewhat effective because i think at the end of the day you do need to see what the instructor is doing but yeah i think i don't know i it's hard for me to speak to that because i don't really know any instruments but you kind of did at some point right in your life I, yeah i played guitar but i always had an instructor mm-hmm. so i never really had to like listen to audio to learn things um yeah occasionally i would watch videos but by that point i think YouTube was at least kind of in its infancy. Right. Stuff on there. I can't imagine just, you know, listening to a CD player and having it instruct you. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things where it probably, that would probably work better for someone who's already familiar with the instrument and knows, you know, the, you know, the six strings and, you know, one through 22 mm-hmm. frets or whatever it is. Um, rather than someone who's like a complete novice who's never picked up a guitar before. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would imagine some of these, uh, instructional records would, would be better suited for like intermediate lessons that's than a good like point. you know you've never touched a guitar before let me tell you let me auditorily yeah. explain everything to you right yeah that's actually a really good point and you know i don't know in some of these cases who the specific audience is but it could be in ones like this like there's an assumption that you know at least the basics mm-hmm. and maybe at that point you don't need as much visual reference but it's hard to say the next one 
in my list is uh, called Whistling is Fun by a man named Fred Laurie in uh, 1956. This is the earliest one that I found. At least on the cover of the of the album, he's known as America's number one whistler. So I didn't know whistling was such a talent <laughs> that one could actually make a career out of it. Well, at least in the 50s you could. I don't think you could today. When you whistle, try and keep a real pleasing pucker. In other words, don't pucker your lips too tight. It might be a good idea if you get a mirror and practice so you'll keep your facial expressions as pleasing as possible for others to look at. And second, always breathe in and then whistle on the outtake of the breath. Don't whistle while breathing in because this cools your vocal cords. So yeah, this one isn't you know, I don't think there's a whole lot to say about this one. Just uh, whistling. Actually, there is one thing I will say is that I found a website called whistlingrecords.net and they have a pretty sizable uh, list of just of whistling instructional records. I'd, I'd be curious what what the traffic of this website is. Probably pretty low because this is like an extremely niche thing. Um, but it's it's... A little bit mind-blowing that there were this many just about whistling. There's an impressive number, and you can stream or download all of those as well. Nice. Um, so I don't know how many of these, rec- like any, like for example, I mentioned Carlton Records earlier. Um, that one or any of the other ones that put out these how-to records, if they only put out how-to records, which I know was the case in at least some of them, you know, assuming they don't exist or haven't existed for decades, I guess these kind of end up in the public domain at that point. Yeah, probably. So that's a that's the thing. The last one I found um, that we'll play here is called Seven Days to Better Bowling. Uh, let's listen to a clip of that one. Outside of slight differences in the speed of lanes, there are no variables in the game of bowling. The same ball delivered in the same manner on the same lane at the same speed will always travel the same path and arrive at the same point of impact. Therefore, the primary variables are with the bowler himself. The successful bowler uses the same ball for every delivery, and if he does not own his own ball, he carefully notes the numbers on the ball best suited to his own requirements. See, this is a good example. At the beginning of this record, it says, this record is for someone who's been instructed in the, you know, in the Mm -hmm. basics of how to bowl. Yeah, exactly. Rather than someone who's never picked up a ball before. Yeah. This uh, this record was produced by the Audio Dynamics Corporation from Portland, Oregon. The same year that they released Seven Days to Better Bowling, they also released Seven Days to Better Golf. I couldn't find much else that they did. Um, actually, I, I found it, Audio Dynamics Corporation, or ADC, I guess also produced a lot of like uh, audio equipment and hardware back in the day. Oh. Um, so... Just a weird fact. I was going to say, you're near enough to Portland. You should see if they have uh, a venue still. <laughs> Audio Dynamics Corporation, where they just sell these records. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, Seven Days to Better Bowling specifically, when I was you know finding a little bit of info on it, um, I noticed that, because you had mentioned, oh, you know, they say this is intended for someone who already knows a little bit about the game. Hmm. Um, I also noticed that, I, I'm trying to remember because I don't have the it in front of me now but i think the record sleeve was basically saying don't listen to this and 
think that this is all you need to play bowling safely or something like that. I don't, I don't remember exactly how they phrased it, but it was basically like you can hurt yourself um, <laughs> with the bowling ball. So don't depend on this as your only means of instruction. Mm-hmm. I also saw like, for example, like people would be selling these on eBay or what have you. Mm-hmm. And it would always be in all caps. Like this is for right-handed bowlers only. So I think the same with the, the better golf one as well. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So I was going to say, cause I bowl left-handed. I don't, I've mm-hmm. never tried to play golf, so other than mini golf, right? So that would be a nice instructional record how to play mini golf. That would. <laughs> um, so I don't. I don't, when you know when they make a big. Actually, I think even on the the label itself, it said you know this is for right-handed bowlers. So I don't know if that's more so for. Don't buy this if you're not playing that way, because then it's not useful, or it's like not safe. I don't really know enough to say, but I I noticed that they were making a big deal about that in both of those records. That is funny. Poor left-handed people always discriminated against. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, obviously this is a a short cross section of the instructional records that were produced over the years. But I I think this gives enough of a, uh, of an idea of what they were and all the different things you could learn um, or at least attempt to learn from these records. And now we have YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, um, I think YouTube has kind of become the de facto instructional record of life. There's a really funny channel on YouTube called How to Basic. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's kind of ingenious because this guy will put like how to cook a turkey, how how to clean a toilet. But they're completely nonsensical humor videos Mm. where he doesn't actually teach you to do that thing. It's just like he'll be like how to cook a turkey and he'll like throw the turkey in a pan and then just like throw a bunch of shit on top of it, shove it in an onion or (laughs) shove it in an onion, Jesus, (laughs) shove it in an oven, take it out, throw it in the toilet, um, put a bunch of other stuff on it, like pour maple syrup on it, like just (laughs) all this ridiculous shit. And he edits it in this really like frenetic way that it's just fucking hilarious. So yeah, I, I, I think this was kind of, this is a, um, Kind of a quirky thing that a lot of people don't think about in in the history of uh, of records. Uh, not you know strictly a music thing by any means, but uh, I I found it cool to kind of dig around and just see what I could find. Mm-hmm. So there you go. If you learned anything from the clips we played today, tell us on Facebook at facebook.com/getyourfunk. And if you didn't learn anything, well, maybe you'll learn something from one of our other episodes, which you can find on getyourfunk.com. Yes. <laughs> something, something, end of the episode. Bye, listeners. Bye. Bye.